Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message regarding Jesus promising the Holy Spirit to his followers. And you can follow along with this message by opening up to John 14. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood Church app. There is none like Jesus. There is none like Jesus. But is he that current to you? Is he that real to you. Imagine those this evening 2,000 years ago when Jesus knows that his departure is imminent and these men were attached to him even like the words we're just singing there's none like you and he's trying to prepare them for his departure his departure in death but then his ultimate departure and ascension. Today's message I've entitled Counselor, which is a name for whom? Holy Spirit. Yeah, there's a a number of names depending on what translation you are holding. He's given different names. But the setting was Jesus' farewell to his disciples following the Passover meal. So they finished eating and he's, he's telling them some things that are very important. Now this reading 184 is lengthy. You've learned. I hope you read this yesterday. It's uh, sent out on the app as you know. And so he covered many, many different topics. But I will not seek to cover those same topics this morning or you'll be here until this afternoon. So I'm going to focus only on the statements that Jesus made about the Holy Spirit. Our theme verse, and it's on top of your message guide, is when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So we're going to see several characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Those things that Jesus felt were most crucial that they grasp right before his arrest, his trial, and his death. The first is that the Holy Spirit remains permanently. And again, we're, reading, we're in reading 184, but this passage that I'm starting with is on 214, right under the heading, Another Counselor Promised. John 14, verse 15 is where it comes from. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This seems a little bit of an inconsistent entrance, doesn't it? to talking about the Holy Spirit. But in fact, it's a qualifier for what he's about to say. Obedience is perhaps the clearest evidence of love. Love for Christ and the presence of saving faith. We know that in our relationships, if we're unfaithful, that's the opposite of love. So obedience, faithfulness is perhaps the clearest evidence of love. You see, people who are truly born again are transformed from being self-centered, motivated only to fulfill their own desires 
into people who want primarily to please God. So as we begin, I ask these questions. Do you love Jesus? Does it show in your obedience? Because see, everything that I'll say today applies to those who are born again. There's an invitation to be born again to us all. But these, these instructions are for those who have been born again. So he continues at verse 16. And I also will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now this word counselor is translated from a Greek word, parakletos. Para, with, kletos, aid. So it's one called alongside to aid. And it's translated variously and accurately as helper, comforter, counselor, consoler, exhorter, intercessor, encourager, and even advocate, like a defense attorney, one who represents you. Now, interestingly here, the word this translated another means another of the same kind. Because there could be, there's another word in the Greek for another that means another one of a different kind. But this word is alos, and it refers specifically to another one, a separate one, that's the same as the first. Now, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force or power. The Holy Spirit is a person with all the attributes of personhood, intellect, emotion, and will. The Holy Spirit is God. See, we, we worship a Godhead composed of three individual persons, all equal all individual, they're individual, but they're inseparable. And they fulfill different functions. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who is equal to the Father and the Son. Now, Jesus promised that he would send another helper exactly like himself. A person who could adequately take his place, who could empower his work, who could guide his followers, but who could also express his presence to those who receive him. I was thinking about it as the choir sang, you know, if we know Christ, he is imminent, he is with us, he is present, right? How can a man who lived 2,000 years ago be so present today? Only by the Spirit of God. Now, Jesus knew his departure was imminent. He would be crucified the very next morning at dawn. But his replacement, you see, would be with them forever. He would never leave. And he continues at verse 17, the first part. 
He is the spirit of the truth whom the world is unable to receive because it doesn't see him or know him. Unbelievers would not recognize him. They would deny his presence. They would dispute his work as being from God. We know people like that. They, they don't see God at work in anything. Don't you know anyone like that? And you scratch your head and go, how can this be? Because it's eyes of faith that enable us to recognize God at work. He continues in verse 17, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now, these disciples certainly recognized the Spirit's work within them. They had, they had been born again by faith. Was David and Moses and Abraham, were those guys born again? Come on. They were? How? Okay, but what's the instrument? What was the instrument? Not faith. Faith means dependence. Who was the instrument of their salvation? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's found throughout the Old Testament. But he functions, he operates differently than he does in the new. And that's the point Jesus is making. The Holy Spirit's always been present. Anyone that had faith, it meant he had, they had dependence on God. But they were regenerated which means they could live forever which means they could communicate with God only by the Holy Spirit you see that didn't function differently the Holy Spirit functioned in virtually every way in the Old Testament that, as he did in the New these disciples had, had been regenerated I don't know, I can't name every one of them, certainly not Judas, but the others. And they certainly had witnessed the power of the Spirit. See, Jesus performed miracles by the power of the Spirit. The disciples performed miracles by the power of the Spirit. Did you know that? The Spirit is the one who gives spiritual life to those born spiritually dead. Those who were separated from God by sin. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. Same thing. He worked in the Old Testament the same ways. He gave spiritual life. He enabled tasks. He, he empowered for service. See, we see him coming on someone to give them an ability. He gave Saul the ability to lead. But the spirit was taken from Saul. In January, I'm going to start teaching us through the life of Samuel, and we'll see that up close. So the Spirit was with the disciples. They saw him at work. But the nature of their relationship with him was about to change dramatically. Following Jesus' death, then his resurrection, but really following his ascension, which means the return to the Father. Now, I want you to get in this. They've been with him for three years. 
he is the most important, most significant person in their lives. They've been looking to him for direction, for instruction, for advice. They, they, he, he determined where they would go next, what they would do next. And he's about to be gone. You feeling this? That's what they were feeling. Now the Holy Spirit came when? Pentecost. 40 days later. You see it in Acts chapter 2. But the Spirit had been there before, you see. Because remember the Spirit appearing at Pentecost is a fulfillment of Joel 2. And the Holy Spirit would permanently, it looked like tongues of fire, remember, landing on people. Worse than being tased. I mean, it was, you know. Maybe not as painful, but certainly more animating. And he would personally and permanently indwell every believer. That's why you can't lose your salvation. Because if you've ever been born again, you've been inhabited by one who will never leave. But unlike your mother-in-law, this is one you never want to leave. (laughs) You can say father-in-law. He would remain within. He would never leave. Romans 8, 9. If you don't have the Spirit, you aren't born again. You don't belong to Christ if you don't possess the Spirit. Everybody clear on this? Let me see your hands. Are y'all clear on this point? There's not a more significant point than this. Because we, otherwise we reduce the good news to you agreeing with some facts. That's not, what, that's not what we're talking about. Biblical salvation is about the Spirit of God animating you. Not about you merely embracing some facts. Okay? So have you received the Holy Spirit? And it's, it's okay to say, I don't know. And some of us, you know, our prayer today, and maybe you can ignore me and pray throughout the rest of the service. Say, God, show me if you're inhabiting me. Let me discern your presence. Because that, that is your confirmation of salvation. The Spirit of God within. It's by the Spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father. It's in two places in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit also reminds and teaches. John 14, drop down a couple of paragraphs. Same page, 214. At verse 25. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, which means on my behalf as my representative, will teach you all things And remind you of everything I've told you. Okay. For the previous three years. Who had been the source of truth for these disciples? Who had pointed out when they were confused? Who kept reminding them things? He's leaving. You know back when you were in school. And you'd been looking out the window way too much. 
And suddenly the teacher says, test Friday. You remember that panicked feeling you had? I want you to feel that because that's what they felt. I'm leaving. But he would leave another who would become the source of truth. Again, please, I'm going to keep saying this. Spiritual truth, the truth that changes your life, is not learned intellectually. It is revealed by the Spirit. And it's revealed through an experience that changes you. Is there anything you believe that I cannot talk you out of? Carla, do you know her? Can I tell you she doesn't belong to you? Why not? You birthed her, didn't you? You fed her, you diapered her, you changed her. Now, she's a lovely adult now. But I can't talk you out of what you have experienced, right? She can move to the other side of the country, and we hope not. But I cannot convince you she's not connected to you. That's when you know something to the degree that it's not intellectual. It's experiential. You don't have it. It has you. It can't be denied. Randy, you know that woman beside you? I don't think you ever met her. That's knowing Christ. No one can talk you out of it. You understand? Not threat, not persecution, not mistreatment, not some pseudo-intellectual argument, not some argument about the creation of the world. Nothing can talk you out of this personal, intimate awareness that you have experienced. You feeling that? But apart from illumination by the Spirit, there's no way to know spiritual truth. Look at this on the screen, 1 Corinthians 2. This is from Paul. He likely dictated this, but it's Paul speaking. People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It sounds foolishness to them. They can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about a person who's been in church, but their, their knowledge level, meaning their experiential level of Christ, is real shallow. And sometimes it just melts away. You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't impact their lives. It doesn't. That's not illumination. That's not revelation. That's not experiential truth. Now before, before the receiving the Spirit, the disciples found it very difficult to understand everything that Jesus taught, right? They were confused. Why? Because their own ideas crowded out what he was saying to them. They wanted a king. They had to have a king. They were convinced this guy was the king. And so how many times did he say, no, no, I'm going to die? And they're still arguing with him. 
That's human reason and human prejudice, right? So now he's leaving. Now you're a disciple. What are you feeling? The grief of loss, fear of the future. What about panic about whether you remember everything he taught you? Because think about it. This guy's been going on and on and on for three years. You said, well, that's disrespectful. No, no. He was a man to them. You see what I'm saying? You know how you sit in those meetings with your bosses and you're only looking like you're paying attention. You're tired from the night before. Your mind's asleep. You're sort of looking out the window. You may have your phone on under the desk. Well, they didn't have phones, but they were distracted. Sometimes they were tired. They slept outside. I didn't get a good sleep last night, you know. Goodness, I had my head on a rock all night, Jesus. I can't listen to all this stuff you're saying. Do you think they really were like that? Come on, y'all. Quit being so spiritual. Yes, they were like that. You would have been like that, wouldn't you? And you'd be going, oh, no. I don't remember all that stuff he said. That's what they felt. See this? And so Jesus is reassuring them that the Spirit will teach them truth so they could teach others. The Spirit would remind them of everything He had said. You feel that relaxation? You'd still be a little nervous. And the Spirit would grant them understanding of even the words they'd been told that confused them so badly. The Holy Spirit's supernatural guidance granted them, here's a theological word, inerrant understanding without error. So they could teach the person and the words of Jesus properly. See, they had to convey who he was as well. And they could record these divinely inspired words in letters and, and, and journals that would become the Gospels and the New Testament. Imagine if you had the responsibility to write a letter to the churches to tell them all that Jesus taught. You feeling that? Amber, you feel that responsibility? Heavy responsibility, wouldn't it be? But the Spirit of God ensured that they could do it accurately. He's not bothering me at all. He may be, if anybody, and I don't know about the folks around you. But I have one that pulls my hair. And Paul declared, 2 Timothy... All scripture is inspired by God. Literally, that means God breathed. And is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. See, if it's not from God, then what right do I have to tell you what you're doing right now is not right? Even some of these social things and this immorality, 
whoever's saying what's right and what's wrong better have more authority and insight than me, right? That's where churches make a mistake and pastors make a mistake when they start giving out their list of rules. When we're called to obey what is God-given, God-inspired, but timeless in application. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. See, the Holy Spirit inspired the very words of Scripture, not just the thoughts. But were they in English? What language were they in? Come on, y'all. It's it's almost 10 o'clock. Well, it's not yet. Y'all will leave. What languages were they in? Greek, Hebrew, and Akkadian. The, The Spirit gave the very words which is called verbal inspiration, but also did give the whole, which is called plenary inspiration. So it wasn't just the thoughts of some men that were inspired. It wasn't, the Bible's not the wisdom of men. The Bible is the words of God. Now, we have English translations, so sometimes there's inexact in a few areas. There's some debate about exactly what the Hebrew and Greek meant. But it's only in a very few instances and not about any theological, significant theological matter. 1 Corinthians 2.13, Paul affirms this. When we tell you these things, we don't use words that come from human wisdom. In other words, from myself. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. It is only because the Holy Spirit is the source that the Bible's trustworthy. It's only because the Holy Spirit is the source that it can be authoritative over faith, what constitutes saving faith, and life. How should you live? And the Bible's not out of date because it was authored by an eternal person. He's not surprised by our culture. It's always current. Now at this point, Jesus tells the disciples we're leaving. And they leave the upper room. They walk through the city. They cross down into the Kidron Valley. And then to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And he's teaching the whole time they're walking. And that's what you see in John 15 and 16. So we look at John 15. On page 216. Again, I'm just, just skipping through this passage to pull out what he says about the Spirit. When the counselor comes, whom I will send you from the Father. See again, that's showing the authority. The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will testify about me. Now testifying means to be a witness, to give evidence. And so the spirit of God testifies to a lost world about the true identity of Jesus. 
as the promised Messiah, as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world. And if you really know the gospel and the gospel knows you, it's because the Spirit has testified to you of its truthfulness. Something happened to you, not by you. You understand this? It's revelation. So again, has the Spirit revealed the truth of the gospel to you in a way that is undeniable? Because you see, when the Spirit reveals it, you can't dispute it. It just grasps you. Do you remember that? Do do y'all remember that? Does this sound strange to you? And that's being born again. The Holy Spirit reveals sin, righteousness, and judgment. Down at the bottom of 216, beginning at verse 7. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. And because understand, see, now he's, he's dialoguing. He knows they're sad. He knows they're scared. He knows they're frightened. Because he's saying, no, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to actually die and be crucified. Or be crucified and die. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Now, Jesus lived as a man, right? Do y'all really believe that? Did he, just, did he just behave like a man? Or was he fully a man? Which means he had limitations. He could only teach and encourage those who gathered around. And he didn't have a PA system or a fancy microphone like this. That's why he spoke beside a lake often or from a boat because you notice how a lake will magnify words that's why if you live on a lake you can tell those people across the lake are talking about you (laughs) but the Holy Spirit who's called the Spirit of Christ because remember he's a different he's another but the same Romans 8 9 1 Peter 1 11 would live inside each believer And thereby enable us to stay in constant contact with Jesus Christ. You know what I'm talking about? Have you noticed? He's always there. You turn your attention, he's there. You have a conversation, you can hear him, can't you? He'll speak back to you. Take some practice to recognize his voice. I'm not saying that that's... You know, and always simple. You can have a lot of things crowding your mind. But it makes Jesus always present within you. That's how he's not some dusty old guy from a book who lived 2,000 years ago and you don't really have anything to do with him. It's not what we're talking about at all. 
The Spirit secures and the Spirit guides our relationship with God. The Spirit within us conforms our character. The Spirit within you changes you into a reflection of Jesus by maturing you spiritually. If you know Christ, if you possess the Spirit, you ought to look more like Jesus today than you did a year ago. Is that right? It's the Spirit who bears fruit. You know, sometimes we we just say, oh, well, I have to put on more love and joy and peace, right? You're trying to push it out. And sometimes you're better at it. Sometimes your self-control is stronger. Sometimes, you know, you've got more discipline. And so you seem to behave better. Isn't that right? But what about when you're in a bad mood? Lisa, is he ever in a bad mood? No, no. (laughs) She said no. (laughs) Maybe the Spirit's working. But see, I want you to look at, I want you to get this difference. It's not you trying to reform yourself. That's nothing but a work. It's you submitting yourself to follow the Spirit within. And as you walk in the Spirit, you get changed. John 16, verse 8. On 2.16. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. See, it's only the Holy Spirit that truly exposes sin in a spiritual way. Because let's, let's be honest. We as humans are so familiar with sin, it really doesn't startle us, does it? I mean, almost as soon as we commit it, we start with our excuses for it. Our blame. Or comparisons. And isn't it interesting how I compare my best with your worst? So we're always doing this justification thing. And only the Spirit of God can cut through it. We minimize the presence and the effect of sin. Because we're always immersed in it. It's not your conscience. Your conscience can be seared. You know that, don't you? I mean, you know people who are doing terrible things and saying they're right and they're just. Immoral things, dishonest things. But here's the thing. A fish does not know he's wet. Because he's so immersed in water, he doesn't know anything else. And you can live in a way that you are so immersed in the presence of sin... You cannot discern it. You know what I'm talking about? Does it sound strange to you? When that guy looks at you in the face and you know he's lying, sometimes he really doesn't know he's lying. The Holy Spirit convinces unbelievers of the reality of sin and the need for salvation. In our culture, where would there be a standard for sin? I mean, for goodness sakes, Christians are being attacked if they say anything is wrong today. Is that true? 
So we're all in despair, right? No, because the Spirit of God has always been, is today, and will always be the exposer of sin. Not us. Doesn't mean it isn't, there isn't a call to confront, because there is. But it's the Spirit of God that changes minds. And he shows us our need for repentance as well. Because, you know, we can do a lot of justification too, can't we? Verse 10 on the next page. The Spirit also convicts the world about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. See, the Spirit convinces people of the perfect righteousness of Jesus. If I ask you, was Jesus righteous, you're convinced of it. There may be some exceptions in this room. But if you've experienced Christ, part of what the Spirit does is he says, that's who this, I'm, I'm going to tell you who this man truly is and was on earth. You see my point? None of you are arguing with me that Jesus was perfect, was sinless. When somebody starts arguing from that perspective, it shows that they're likely lacking what? What? Spirit. The Spirit. And when we see, though, the perfect righteousness of Christ, it contrasts with human sin, and it shows us the impossibility of being saved. See, as long as I'm making the judgments, I think I'm not so bad. In fact, I'm better than a whole lot of y'all. So maybe I get in because I'm ahead of some of you in line. No. None righteous, no, not one. Because the comparison, I don't get to compare with you. You don't get to compare with me. We compare with Christ. Because the Spirit shows us Christ. And the supreme example of Jesus' righteousness is he was accepted into the Father's presence on his own merits. No one died for him. He died for you. Verse 11. He also convicts the world, the spirit, I mean, the spirit convicts the world about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And again, he's, he's going to show us Satan has been defeated. He was defeated at the cross, Hebrews 2.14, 1 John 3.8. His final sentence has not been carried out, and he's alive and well in this world. Do I have to convince you of that? But he will be judged eternally and imprisoned. Revelation 20.10. But what he's saying there is if we embrace this world, which is ruled over by Satan then we're likely headed in the same destination he's headed for. If we live selfish, self-centered lives, we won't escape eternal punishment either. Because it's saying that's where Satan's headed. Have you experienced and are you experiencing today the convicting work of the Spirit? The Holy Spirit also reveals what he hears. Verse 13, first part. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Again, this is, just, this is so important. 
Remember, he's reassuring these men. And so he's referring to the Spirit's Spirit's supernatural guidance into the truth of Jesus' person and teaching. They're nervous. You get this? They're they're fearful. They're anxious. But they're going to be the authorities on what faith is when he's gone. That's what you ought to be feeling right now. And so he says, the Spirit's going to lead you into truth. But it also includes the idea that the Spirit leads all of us who are, who are followers into truth by illuminating the Word of God for us. And I've told you this many times. What Perry teaches you is of not much spiritual value unless the Spirit of God binds it to your soul and changes you as a result of it. Sometimes what you hear is not even what I say. It's what the Spirit of God is speaking to you that stays with you. In fact, that truth always transforms. Do you understand that you always live by the truth you believe? Are there exceptions? There are no exceptions. We always live by the truth we believe. That's why we do transformation prayer to help us, help us discover by the Spirit's leadership what we are embracing that really is a lie so that God's Spirit can replace it with truth. The Bible is one book, but it's composed of how many books? Don't look, come on now, don't look it up. 66. I'm gonna have to pass out some kisses. And it was written over how many years? Somebody's on it over here. Who said that? But they hid their face. 1,600 years. How many authors? Some debate. Who wrote Hebrews, for example? 40 different authors. In a dozen different countries. On three different continents. In at least three different languages. But get this. And they didn't have a Bible to consult when they were writing. That's not a small factor. Cultic teaching was written by one man. The Bible was written by 40 over 1,600 years in 66 different books. Really more than that. Or less, because First and Second Samuel were, were actually one book, and today they're two. And they didn't have a reference to go by, except the Spirit of God within them. See, if I copy something out of the Bible, you're not impressed by that, that I'm consistent with it. No Bible. In fact, the Old Testament wasn't compiled until 90 A.D., Despite all the differences among the writers, the Bible contains one unified theme without contradiction in the content. It's because the Holy Spirit reported only what he heard from the Father. If the Father's the source of all truth, then the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all going to be saying the same thing. But you two don't even say the same thing. But the Spirit of God always and only said the same thing. Thing. Continue in verse 13. 
For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. So he tells the future as well. He acts in harmony with the Father. His leading is consistent with God's will and God's way and God's purpose. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. That is why I told you he takes what is mine and will declare it to you. See, I want you to understand this. We have some bad theology afoot about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not intended to be worshipped other than as part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to reveal truth and to glorify Jesus. He's not drawing attention to himself. He's always pointing to Christ. And you can use that discern when somebody says, well, this is the Spirit, and they're doing something, you go, okay, does this glorify Christ? Because if it doesn't, it's not the Spirit. It might be human intellect. It might be human emotion. It might be somebody out of their minds. But the Spirit convinces us the Bible's reliable, that its message is true, and that is good news. Do you believe the Bible is true? If you're convinced of it and you cannot change your mind, that's by revelation. Do you live according to its direction that is always current? There'll be counselors at the front. Counselors, you come now. If there's someone that says, you know, I'm not sure that I have the Spirit. Would somebody pray with me? Would somebody talk to me? If you want to be um, anointed with oil for healing, we we don't control healing, but the Spirit can heal. And the Spirit does heal at times. So there'll be people here. They'll be in the care connection room. Father God, we thank you for your Spirit who comforts and counsels us and lets us continually experience your presence. What a gracious gift he is. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website, brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.